someone uh, sent me a supposedly true story about a woman who got a knock on her door from a handyman looking for odd jobs. So she said, well, there's two gallons of green paint in the back, and there's a porch back there that needs to be painted. So would you paint the porch? Well, he said, sure, and he went away and did his work, and then he came back a little while later, paint all over him, and she said, did you finish painting? And he said, yeah, but lady, I got to tell you, that's not a Porsche back there. That's a Mercedes. <laughs> porch. Porch. I don't know if that's true or not. I hope not. It makes a good point. I want to ask this question. Do you ever feel that way about prayer? That you are very specific with God about what you want, but you don't get it. You get something else instead, or maybe it feels like you get nothing instead. We're starting a new sermon series for Lent called Core Questions. And these are questions that you all submitted over the last couple of months. Some of them are intellectual, theological questions. Others are more questions from the heart. And today I want to start with a heart question that many of you asked. And one person put it this way. How do you make sense of the fact that you pray for other people and miracles happen for them right and left, but when you pray for yourself or your own family and their healing, the outcome is horrific? Some say if you believed enough, it would have been different, and that's a lie. But in some ways, you feel let down and maybe a little less important to God. Unanswered prayer. And there's a lot of pain in that question, isn't there? And I know a lot of us can probably relate to it. I myself prayed fervently that my first marriage would stay together, and it didn't. And you probably have a story that's similar. You pray for healing for yourself or someone you love, and it doesn't happen. Years of praying for your kids, and they're still making bad choices. Years maybe even of praying for a closer connection to God, and that prayer doesn't ever seem to get answered. And you start to think, God, why aren't you answering this prayer? Do you just love me less than other people? Am I doing something wrong? Are you even there? Do you not exist? Is that the problem? Well, as our text points out, I think our text makes pretty clear that Unanswered prayer is not a result of a lack of faith. The Apostle Paul had plenty of faith, and he still didn't get all his prayers answered the way he wanted them. In this text, he says that he has a thorn in his flesh. The Greek is a little stronger. It actually is more like a spear in his side. Nobody knows what it is. Lots of speculation. Some people say, well, maybe it was a, a physical ailment of some kind. <clears throat> some folks say maybe it was a persistent sin or temptation that he couldn't get rid of, like lust or something like that. Others say, no, no, it was all the church people he had to deal with, you know, <laughs> like the Corinthians. Now, he wasn't married, so we know for sure it wasn't his spouse, which is good, right, because some folks will say, my spouse is my thorn in the, my flesh. Personally, I'm glad Paul doesn't specify, because it allows us to insert in that blank whatever unanswered prayer we feel like we have. And Paul pleads with God to have it taken away, and it doesn't happen. But I think that it would be a mistake. I don't think it would be accurate to say that this is an unanswered prayer. In fact, I think what the text shows us is that there is no such thing as an unanswered prayer. God answers all of our prayers, even if it's not exactly how we think we want them answered. And even in this text, God gives Paul three life-changing answers to his prayer. And they all start with the letter P. And the first one is God gives Paul purpose in his pain. Paul talks about how he's had all of these ecstatic visions and connections with God and how that could have given him a lot of spiritual pride. You know, I got this deal with God that none of you have. And, 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 and if you read, you know, and he says that this thorn helped keep him humble. 
And if you read through Paul's letters in the Bible, you kind of get the impression that Paul needed all the help he could get in the humility department. Kind of wasn't his gift. God used this thorn in his side to help Paul become more like Jesus to refine his character. But also, God uses the thorns in our side for a whole, a lots of other things. Sometimes it's to help other people. You know, personally, I am glad that Paul did not get his thorn taken away. Because this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. And I go back to it over and over again when I am in times of pain. Because it reminds me that even Paul didn't get everything he wanted. And that God's grace is sufficient for me. God doesn't cause our pain. A fallen, sinful world does that. But God brings purpose out of it. He makes it mean something. The second thing Paul gets from this is power from God. He says this fascinating thing. I will boast about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. I delight in hardships. Huh? Delight? I mean, he doesn't say put up with, I tolerate, I bear with, I delight. That's a little strong, don't you think? I delight in hardships. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I think what Paul is getting at is it is in our weakness that Christ's strength becomes most apparent. Probably because it's only when we run out of our own resources that we really truly turn to him and trust in him. I've told you before about Antoine Rutayaseri, who's a pastor in Rwanda. And one time he said to me, I feel sorry for you American Christians. Because every day someone shows up on my door without any food, without any shelter, without enough clothes. And in America, you would just send them to some agency. But the only option I have is to pray. And because of that, I see miracles that you will never see. And I think he's right. I, I tend to rely on myself more than God. And as a result, I often don't see God's power the way I otherwise could. But when, like Paul, we get to the point in our heart where we know Jesus is our only option. He's all we've got. There's nothing else. And we begin to plead with him and open our hearts like that. That's when I believe we begin to experience his power more and more. Which is why sometimes our weaknesses are our greatest strengths. There's a true story about a guy named Charlie Boswell who was blinded during World War II. But he went on to become the blind golf champion 13 times in a row. And at one point he was given the Ben Hogan Award. And this was back when Ben Hogan was, was kind of the Tiger Woods of his day. And, and when Charlie met Ben Hogan, he said he'd love to play golf with him. And Hogan said, well, I'd be honored. And then Charlie said, well, would you like to play for money? And Ben Hogan said, that would not be fair. And, but Charlie kept pressing and said, let's bet $1,000 per hole. And Hogan, Hogan said, I, I, can't, I can't do that. I can't take advantage of you. You're blind. And, and Charlie said, what's wrong? You chicken? You afraid to play a blind man? Huh, huh, huh? <laughs> so finally Hogan said, okay, okay, I'll play, but I'm going to do my best. Now, what time do you want to meet? And Charlie said, midnight. <laughs> Sometimes... It's what you don't have that is your greatest asset. Sometimes it's what we don't have that God can use the most. And sometimes it's what we don't have that becomes the place where God's power is made real. Because we have nothing else to rely on but him. The third answer Paul gets to his prayer is the presence of God that gives him joy in the middle of his pain. You know, it's clear throughout this passage that Paul has an intimate connection with his father, that he speaks with him as a person would speak to another friend, and that, 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 that God's love so, po so powerfully fills Paul up that it pushes everything else out, and it makes everything else seem small, even the thorn. 
I've told you before about how I just love the fact that Psalm 23 starts out talking about God in the third person. He leads me beside still waters. He makes me lie down. But then it switches to you. And the line where it switches is when it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. That is, it's in the pain that God becomes more personal, more real, more palpably there. And that gives us joy. Even when our prayers don't turn out the way we want, God gives us purpose for the pain, power, and his presence. Now, either that is the biggest theological cop-out ever in the history of theological cop-outs, or it is one of the greatest gifts that God gives us. And I know that that can sound a little bit like a consolation prize on a game show when you don't get your prayers answered. You know, you didn't get your prayers the way you wanted them answered. Here's a lovely parting gift of God's presence for you. But time and time again, folks who experience his powerful love say it is the best experience of their life. They say it's like a wave, a giant wave of warm water that just overwhelms you so much. That's all you're aware of, God's presence. And you never want it to stop, and you never want it to end. And it pushes everything else out and makes everything else seem small. Now, I know for some of you that has actually been your long-standing prayer, to have that intimate connection with God, to have him be more real in your life, to have a heart connection with him. And that hasn't happened, and you've been asking for it. So that's your unanswered prayer. And I understand that. I, there have been seasons in my life where I have not had much of a heart connection with God. One season lasted almost 10 years. Now, to those of you who are in that place, I just want to say a couple of things. The first is keep praying because I believe at some point God does want to overwhelm us with his love. Keep praying. Second, the Holy Spirit, ask the Holy Spirit to show you if there's anything blocking you from experiencing God. Things that we've talked about in the last couple of weeks. Unforgiveness, idols, false views of God, wounds from the past. You may need someone else to pray with you, not to give you answers, but just to be God's presence with you. And also know that even if you're not experiencing him right now, there is purpose in that too. I am personally grateful for those seasons in my faith life where I didn't experience much of a heart connection to God. Because those were the times I had to work it out in my head. And, and I discovered that there were some great historical and rational and theological and biblical reasons to believe in Jesus. And that's important too. God gave us a head and a heart. We need to use both. Because if all we have is this heart connection, all these emotions, well, without any biblical understanding or good theology, you can run off a cliff and do a bunch of stuff you're just sure God told you to do if it's all emotion, right? I mean, th that's what's great about being Presbyterian. We can never get too emotional, right? We're safe, right? We've got these guardrails of good theology to keep us from going off the cliff, right? And, and, and we need both, head and a heart. Even if you're not experiencing God at a heart level right now, know that there's a purpose in that. He's helping you know him in a different way. But keep asking also, because I believe he wants to overwhelm you with his love at some point. And when he does, it makes everything else seem small in light of his presence. And this is one of the reasons that I am a Christian and not something else. You know, there, there's maybe no perfectly satisfying answer to the question, why is there so much suffering in the world? But Jesus gives the three best answers there are. And the first is that when we suffer, we are not alone. He is with us in it. That's part of what the cross is all about. The one being in the universe who did not have to suffer chose to suffer in an agonizing way so he would know what it's like so that when we suffer, he can be with us in it. The second answer Jesus gives is he will bring good out of it, just like he did with the cross and used it to purchase our forgiveness. 
And the third answer he gives is one day he will put a stop to it. And then when we are with him for eternity, the pain of this life will seem so brief, it'll be like ripping off a Band-Aid in comparison to the billions of years we have with him. The scholar John Stott tells a story about looking at a statue of Buddha. And he says, what am I to do with this kind of a God? Eyes closed in serenity, kind of aloof, above all the pain in the world, not troubled by it. And then he compares that to a picture of Jesus on the cross. And he says, that's my God. The one who suffers with me. The one who uses it for good and the one who will put an end to it one day. Maybe it's not completely, totally satisfying answer, but it's better than any other answer there is. I mean, if you're an atheist, the only thing you can say is, well, suffering happens too bad. And every other religion says it's because of something you did wrong, either in this life or in some other life. But Jesus says, no, you didn't do anything wrong. It's just part of a fallen world. But I am with you in it, and I will bring good out of it, and I will put it to an end one day, and one day you will dance on the streets that are golden with me forever. There's a man in our church who I admire a lot. And a year ago, he was diagnosed with colon cancer in his early 40s. And he had radiation treatment, and at first everything seemed to be going really well. The treatment was working and all of that. But then a couple months later, the pain came back, and, and it, was, it was crippling. There were just a lot of days that all he, he couldn't do anything but, but lay in bed, just so much pain. And his prayer was that he would fully recover from the cancer and not have to have a permanent colostomy. And lots of people were praying for him, pastors and elders and friend, tons of people praying. Well, after a lot of months, they finally discovered that the treatment had left permanent tissue damage. That was the cause of the pain. Said it only happens about 2% of the time, but he was one of the unlucky 2%. And the upshot of all of that was that now the cancer is gone, but there was so much damage that he does have to have a permanent colostomy for the rest of his life. Now, he did not get what he prayed for. But throughout the whole ordeal, he and his wife would continually say that God was very present for them. In many ways, more real, more present than he'd ever been before. And they saw God's hand in countless ways. Everything from this church family that surrounded them and cared for them to, to randomly meeting folks who'd gone through the same thing and could give them hope. His wife said it's made their marriage stronger, more connection, more emotional closeness with each other. They'd both say it's made him a better man. Last summer, when the pain on most days was just excruciating, there was one night where all of a sudden he said to his wife, do you feel that? Do you feel that? And she said, what? And he said, the Holy Spirit. He's right here. He's right here with us. Do you feel him? And she said, no, I don't. But if you do, that's, that's great. And then he said, do you see that? And there was this light kind of on the ceiling, shining on the ceiling, a light that had never been there before. And she said, yeah, do, do you think that's the Holy Spirit? And he said, it is. It's the Holy Spirit. He's right here with us. Well, later she looked around the house. There were no lights on, no windows, no reflections, nothing that could have caused that light. And that night was the only night in months when he didn't have any pain. Now, whether that light was the Holy Spirit or not, I don't know. That's, that's kind of beside the point. The real point is that's how real God was to him in that moment. And when he had that presence of God, it pushed the pain away. I emailed him this week for permission to tell this story, and then I asked him for some of his reflections almost a year out. And this is what he wrote. He said, I have to admit there were times when I wondered just where God was. I was very specific about what I wanted, but I have a growing realization that what he has in store for me might not be what I asked for, but is certainly way more exciting. You may have heard we're starting a cancer support group at church, and I'm helping with that. You told me last year that God will use my cancer for good, and now I'm seeing the wonderful truth of that come true. 
I look back and I realize that God was always with me. He never left me. And I'm learning to surrender to his will. I'm not quite there yet, but a heck of a lot further than I was. And God has used this to transform me. And my wife will testify that I'm changed. My heart has softened. Last spring, when it appeared that all was going well, I'd, and I'd faced no major complications, <clears throat> I could see that God was using my pain to change me. And I was afraid that the change wouldn't be permanent if I got through my cancer too quickly. So I prayed that God wouldn't let me off too easy. Be careful what you pray. I may have gotten just what I asked. So sometime in mid-August, I told God that that was enough. I get the point. I'm changed permanently. <clears throat> I, realize that I, have no, I realize that I have not reached the end. It's more like a beginning. And sometimes it scares me to think what might be in store. But I know now that wherever God takes me, it will be a joyful experience. You know, sometimes we pastors tell stories that have kind of nice, tidy endings and tidy little bows on them. This man's story is not done yet. He still has pain. He still has grief. He still has questions that he's got to sort through because that's how life is. But it's trending positive. And God did not give him what he asked for. But he did find purpose in his pain. He experienced God's power and God's passionate love for him so much so that he can honestly say what God has for me is way more exciting than what I have for me. And wherever it leads, I know it will lead to joy. The famous uh, golfer Arnold Palmer, there's a lot of golfing stories in this sermon. Something about unanswered prayer in golf. <laughs> famous golfer Arnold Palmer played a series of matches in Saudi Arabia once, and the king was so impressed he wanted to give Palmer a gift. And Palmer said, no, no, I, you know, I can't take it. The king said, please, you'll, I'll be insulted if you don't. So Palmer said, okay, how about a golf club? Well, the next day, a messenger from the king gave Palmer the title to a 200-acre Trees Lakes Clubhouse golf club. <laughs> Not what he asked for. So much more. We don't always get what we ask for in prayer. Because Jesus wants to do so much more for us than just fix a problem or make our lives easier. Let me ask you a question. Who is more blessed by God? The person who gets the miracle and has their thorns zapped away? Or the person who is so filled with the Father's passionate love for them that they can say honestly and truly from the bottom of their soul the words of one of my favorite hymns. When peace like a river attendeth my way or sorrows as sea billows roll, whatever my lot my Father has taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Because here's the thing, even if the thorn is zapped and the miracle happens, you still have to face heartache in the future in life because that's how life is and you still have to die. But the person who experiences God's presence in such a powerful way that it drives out fear, drives out despair, drives out pain, drives out doubt and ushers in joy, that person is truly blessed. That person is truly healed. That person is truly free because God's love has given you an indestructible joy. You see, joy is the great nevertheless of God. Joy is when you, when you can say from your gut, in spite of the pain in life, nevertheless, the God who made the stars is my Father, and my Father loves me, therefore I will rejoice. Yes, I've been laid off, nevertheless, my God will provide somehow, so I'm going to rejoice. 
Yes, I've lost a loved one, but because of Jesus, I will see that person again. So I will rejoice. Yes, life seems to be falling apart. Nevertheless, nevertheless, though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet, and he will use every rotten thing for good, and he will put an end to my suffering one day. Therefore, I rejoice. Who is more blessed? Who is more free? The person who gets zapped? Or the person who can say, in spite of the pain, in spite of it all, I am my father's son, I am my father's daughter, my father's love for me floods my heart so much so that there's no more room for doubt, no more room for despair, there's only room for his love and his joy. You want to give Satan a nervous breakdown? Here's what you do. When he takes his best shot at you, ask Jesus to fill you with his love, thank God in advance for how he's going to use it for good, and sing and celebrate like there's no tomorrow, all is a way of saying to Satan, you may have won the battle, but you're going to lose the war. You may have gotten me down this time, but God's going to get me up next. You may have hurt me a little, but my father loves me a lot. And Satan, you have lost, you have lost, you have so lost, because there is nothing that can separate me from my father's love that gives me joy. Not death, not life, not unemployment, not divorce, not peril, famine, nakedness, persecution, or the sword. There is nothing in heaven, there is nothing on earth, there is nothing even in your pitiful, miserable hell itself, Satan, that can separate me from my Father's love. Therefore, I will rejoice. There is no such thing as unanswered prayer. God always answers. And even if it's not the one we expected or wanted, he gives us so much more. Purpose for our pain. Power, power, wonder-working power that cannot be stopped. His presence and love that makes everything else seem small. And joy, joy, indestructible joy that'll never die. In the words of that great theologian, Garth Brooks, <laughs> sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayer. Just because he doesn't answer the way I think he needs to doesn't mean he doesn't care. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayer.